0: Sorry, I'm glad I found you. What is it? I have to go home. Home? Kweijan. Home, home? Look, my brother Kahim got a message to me through the courier network. I have to go. Come with me?
1: Uh, hold on.
0: It's Osiris and the Emerald Chain. He's been dealing with them for 15 years. I haven't
1: heard from him once. It must be bad. Kweijan is two weeks away at full warp. Okay. And we have less than a 50% chance of surviving a transwarp tunnel. She's gonna destroy my planet. Then we're gonna need some help.
0: When the burn hit, damage to subspace shifted our moon's orbit, causing tidal changes. Sea locusts came out of the ocean and ate our harvest. Millions were starving. Then the chain came along. Let me guess, they had the solution to all your problems. They offered us a, well, I guess you'd call it a repellent. They assured us it was a humane way to get them back into the sea. It saved our harvest, but we had to give them our transworms in exchange. Now Osiris back. Any idea why? I don't know.
2: Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnik, and with me in a starship that's weaving around another one are
0: Adam Bowen,
1: Emily Bowen Marler, and Rudy Cusbaker. Strange New Takes is a Star Trek-themed podcast that's supposed to be covering, you guessed it, strange new worlds, but that's not going to be out for a little while, so with so much new Trek already happening, we thought we'd jump on in and start talking about every new episode that releases. Today, we are super excited to bring you our Strange New Takes for the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, The Sanctuary.
3: But before we get started, we do want to encourage you to follow us on social media, At the rate, strange new takes on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's where you find us. Also do make sure you tell your friends about us. Um, We do love getting strange new listeners from all over the world. And it's your recommendations um, that help us get up the podcast list. And that's the best way people can uh, find us, discover us.
2: And something else that helps people discover us is if you give us a five-star rating on iTunes. I know, I know. It's like, I don't even have an iPod anymore. Why would you expect me to have iTunes? I know. I understand your pain. But unfortunately, the Apple Apple, uh, podcast feed is mirrored on like 90% of all the podcast providers out there. The Apple podcast rating you give us, you help us receive, I should say, is what helps us show up higher when somebody searches for a star trek pod so if you give us a five star rating we'll appreciate it very much i'll even read it on the show uh so so go ahead and do that if you have a moment
0: and just as a heads up this podcast literally every single one of our podcasts includes spoilers for this episode and potentially just like anything else uh maybe a, an episode of west wing will be spoiled i don't know We'll <laughs> we'll see how things go But uh, uh, so if you have not seen The Sanctuary and don't want to be spoiled, uh, just push pause and then go watch that real quick and then come back to us. Uh, But if you don't care because you're a maniac, then let's just jump right in right now.
2: You know, if if Rishikesh Hurway and Josh Molina hadn't done The West Wing weekly, that's that's the one I would have done. We wouldn't be sitting here talking about Star Trek. We'd be sitting here talking about The West Wing. (laughs) That would be great. I would enjoy that very much. It's too bad West Wing doesn't have, like, five different shows about it and an animated series that kind of pokes fun at it, etc. I would, I, I, think the West Wing cinematic universe would be a fun one to jump into. But anyway, okay. Let, let's talk about the eighth episode of the third season of Star Trek Discovery, The Sanctuary, written by Kenneth Lynn and Brandon A. Schultz. Jonathan Frakes directed this episode. Sorry for the pause there. I was wondering what the, the A in Brandon A. Schultz means. Anonymous? I feel like that would be a good middle name for somebody to have. But anyway. Uh, the episode summary from Memory Alpha is Burnham and the USS Discovery crew travel to Book's home planet to help rescue it from Osira, the formidable leader of the Emerald Chain. Meanwhile, Stamets and Adira continue their search for valuable information on the origin of the Burn. Now, am I the only one who, even after the episode ended, didn't realize that Osaira is the leader of the Emerald Chain? Yeah. I feel like that wasn't made entirely clear the last time she was like we were introduced to her, that she's she's not just like a baddie, she's the big bad.
3: I think Vance does mention her in the in, in the first episode when when Discovery Docks with um with whatever is left of the Federation that Asaira is, is getting bolder or something like that. So I think that name has popped up early enough. So I, I thought that, you know, she was one of the big baddies. We didn't know if you know, there was this nasty version of the Federation. Um, mm. but, yeah,
0: okay. I, yeah, I I don't I don't know that they explicitly talked about it. The the reason that I had caught on it caught on to it was that Osiris was mentioned while they were talking about needing to jump to that planet, and then also like it's his aunt or whatever. But uh, I think that was only like on the second watching that I was like, Oh wait, you're talking about the same person.
2: Mmm. Okay. All right interesting 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 yeah i i, I didn't I, until reading the summary just now which i'd copy and pasted without actually reading through it i didn't realize it was Syrah. and it was actually one of my beefs with the end of the episode where she's like you've now made an enemy of the emerald chain i'm like who the hell are you
1: <laughs> like the leader
0: right and then
2: uh, would be like Literally yeah who probably. the hell are you podcast man shut the hell up um, <laughs> anyway
3: uh you're Hopefully gonna feel we the weight of the Emerald Chain, notch. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the full weight. Uh, okay. Anyway, anyway, I just leave my house. My head gets blown off by the perimeter defenses. But okay. Oh, no. uh, let, let's let's <laughs> let's do strange new takes. Who wants to go first?
1: I'm gonna go first because Adam just gave me mine. So, um, Adam, for those of you who have not realized, is my brother. And literally no one in our family pronounces A-U-N-T, (laughs) aunt, except for him. Every other person in our not tiny family says aunt. (laughs) So I just, my strange new take is, I wonder where Adam got aunt from. Does Jenny say aunt?
0: I I have said aunt since I was like a little kid.
1: I know. It's just so weird because not, it's, it's aunt debbie aunt mary aunt luann like they're all aunt right but yeah anyway i just think it's hilarious aunt cindy i might even say
0: aunt (laughs) when i when i am using it as their (laughs) name but i yeah i don't know it's it looks like aunt when you look at the word
1: it does it does aren't you
0: glad you say it that way I you, am you, you also did
1: say paradigm one time so. I, what, I said that one okay,
0: time okay. and it was the only time I said, I it, said it audibly time, I said it to you and then you laughed I, at me as, as much as I
2: enjoy learning about Adam's <laughs> word okay, fibles, we'll we should on. keep moving
1: we'll keep moving Sorry, I'm not the one that's supposed to go early <laughs> but anyway sorry okay so that's my strange new take for life my strange new take for the episode is ugh Seriously, I was not interested in meeting Osaira. I figured we were going to, but I just don't need, and maybe they're going to redeem her, but I just do not need an irredeemable baddie in Star Trek. So I just don't. Anyway, okay.
3: So just to clarify, the algo is Osaira, not the episode as a whole.
1: Huh?
3: Hey, we're the- not on ratings yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. We, we, can't, we can't reveal that. That's a spoiler. Yeah, a yeah. Spoiler I'm, just, okay. I'm just talking about Osaira.
3: Mystery alert. Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, I think I'll go for my, uh, strange new take. So this is, I actually prepared this one. Uh, so, uh, my strange new take is that you should go watch alien worlds on Netflix. Uh, it was just a delightful little documentary about like, what if aliens on some other planet? And we just like watch like a nature documentary about like these cool, like, uh, floating gas bags that, that like to eat like other giant soaring creatures. And it was just. I, I loved it. It reminded me of a show that I watched when I was a little that had a similar concept, and it was just I don't know. So if you want strange new aliens and strange new worlds, go watch it. Well, strange uh, new
2: worlds isn't out yet.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So this is your In only choice, time. basically. Um, so the for the episode, um, I'm going to say that I the only time Star Trek has done the I don't trust machines. Switch me to manual. Uh, the only time they've ever done that scene correctly is from Star Trek 2009, where the red shirt opened his parachute too late because macho and immediately died. Uh, <laughs> the, like the it's the 32nd century, AI is probably very good, and our monkey brains are not very good at react at reaction times that are necessary for flying. And so, unless, uh,
2: unless as children we have the AI. Put into our monkey brain so we are monkey brain plus ai so yes.
0: maybe her her like uh implant is literally just a different computer she's like switch me to manual i'm gonna have the computer in my head do this instead maybe but that thing is uh, 20 23rd century tech i don't know I, i'm just i'm very uh no i'm not into this this storyline in general and we keep on doing it it uh, even in uh even Riker had a chance at this one but yeah
2: Well, I mean, he directed this episode, so, you know, he was like, where's the joystick in the plot? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, Uh, well, I'll I'll jump in. Uh, You will understand the world a lot better, and I think it's just more fun if you read presidential memoirs and or biographies, and you don't have to read, like, multiple ones of any president, but, like you know the a promised land is a great place to start if you've never read any government based memoirs before um the alexander hamilton biography by ron chernow i know he's not a president but you know he's a founding father so it's it's i would say that give you an essential understanding of how uh government works which is a very very interesting thing you know going back to the it's it's far better at teaching about government than the west wing which i worship but still so so read <laughs> presidential memoirs and biographies if you can they will help you with the world around you but anyway my strange new take about this episode is that i do not understand how they managed to cram so much information into so little time so well and i i was sitting there by the end of this episode just being like please turn the fire hose off i can't like there's in more information cannot enter my brain also why aren't all the episodes like this uh, because I, I feel like some of these other episodes, we've just like been like, oh, there's a 20-second clip of this family hologram, and they're just having fun together, and okay, we're going to stare at them for some more time now. Whereas this one, it was like every scene was something important, plot-critical, and or moved a character along. I feel like there was no wasted time in this episode, and that was amazing.
3: Right, and uh, bringing up the rear, so... I also want to watch, um, the new alien worlds, um, thing on Netflix. Um, but I watched something else, which I think will actually make it better. Um, so if any of you've not watched my octopus teacher on Netflix, go ahead and watch it. It is amazing. I really loved it. I literally, Um, I
0: literally started watching that this week. So that's a really weird
1: (laughs) (laughs) coincidence.
3: um it it will i'm really excited to watch it has i don't think it has anything to do with alien worlds but it gives insight into the ocean and you know a certain creature in the ocean that i never had and um i think it has 100 percent rotten tomatoes but i really loved it. it's one of the best documentaries i've ever watched uh, so that's my general uh new take and for this episode um it had a lot going on i don't know if i have a soft spot for Jojo, but i just loved everything that involved her stuff so i'm really excited about the next episode which is all about her so uh yeah that's, that's i i have not watched that scene
2: that shows up in the ready room i've seen some spoilers about it and I was, i'm trying not to not to get those so let's mm. uh, i haven't been able to watch any
1: of the ready room episodes it's so sad
2: I I haven't watched. I've I've watched about half of them, but they're pretty good. When I do watch them, you get some nice behind Mm -hmm. the scenes stuff like you always do. But I don't think that they're essential for the season Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, At least that's the way I felt. But okay, story and writing on this episode. I counted five plots. Okay, and I'm going to I'm going to run them by y'all and y'all can tell me if I'm missing one or if I've added one too many. I thought the A plot was the Burnham and Burnham's brother plot on the planet. And and what happens down there? Uh, oh, no, Burnham. Books, brother, Book mm. and Burnham and Bur- Books, brother, Book- Books Brothers. Is that going to be the new Star Trek clothing line, <laughs> Books Brothers?
3: Anyway,
0: they they they, make, they seem With- to make weird uh uh robes, bath for bathrobes. Bath <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. One of them could be
3: called Tracker X, or yeah, there you go. His name, <laughs>
2: yeah. So okay, okay. A plot is the stuff that happens on the planet. B plot was Siru versus Asaira versus the Federation. Okay? Uh, we can throw Rin in there if we want. The C plot was Culber and Giorgio. The D plot was the stuff that's happening about the burn. And then the E plot was Adira, Stamets, and Culber. Well, mostly Adira and Stamets. And yeah. I feel like we had solid exposition of all of these. And... I- I- yeah, I, I don't know. Am I making too much? I'm not good at this whole no. A B plot thing, but like,
1: well, and they also had some more. They had some more kind of pieces about Saru, uh, establishing his captaincy too. Like, I mean, that kind of gets covered in the B plot, but but not totally. You know, anyway. Yeah. So yeah, they were I mean, yeah, they really it, it, were holding a lot of things in this one episode,
0: and it and it, it, it it makes sense. And I and I guess uh, to some extent, may, maybe that's the like this is the middle of the season. So like what w- there are now lots of plots for us to talk about. And so maybe the, it, that helps reduce some of the clutter in the episodes where we don't have to like stare at a family for 20 seconds, as you mentioned, is like, <laughs> there's, there's so much happening right now that it's, it's either that we just like, don't develop something at all for several episodes. And then like, oh yeah, also there was the burn uh, or <laughs> we try to address it all.
2: Yeah. So, so let's talk about each of these briefly um, the A-plot. Book kinda neglected to mention that Osira was, you know, working with his brother the last time, you know. I, I feel like that would have been important information to give Burnham when she showed up on the planet to rescue him and been like, and by the way, we're dealing with the leader of the Emerald Chain, so all of us could get into a lot of trouble. And my family has a contract with her. Which could lead to a lot of problems for my home world, and did I mention I have a brother that it could lead to problems with as well? And so, I feel like it strains credulity a little bit that nobody knew about all this already.
3: Well, she asked him about his family at the end of the the pilot, right? And mm-hmm. I think he said something along like, the lines of "You don't want to know him, right?" Um, or something like that, and then they yeah. never got into it. Um, I I I found it maybe again, a little convenient that again, he's like, Hey, I need your help. Come with me. um, And, and then Vance is like, Hey, there's 50 plus star systems that are in violation of the prime directive, but we're going to go pick this one, of course, because it's book book is, is, is our guy. Right. And, um, I don't know. Um, I mean, you could, you could justify, you could rationalize it and say, Hey, it's Intel gathering for the Emerald chain versus the uh, versus the leader of the Emerald Chain, all of that. But it almost felt like they were going ahead to help Book specifically while the remaining 49 uh, violated star systems were just sort of... <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that part was a little casual, but um, it was good to meet uh, Book's brother.
2: Book's brother? Uh <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> um
2: it would have been funny though if he was if they were leaving and another captain first office or former first officer and a guy named movie was coming in like we've got information about the chain we gotta go and like you know and wans was like i'm sorry i just sent these folks off we got send you as well like you know uh anyway but uh yeah it's and, and there was, I feel like, you know, we, we had a bunch of, you know, Star Trek's greatest hits, like the defense field that prevents a convenient transport out. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, you know, the classic Star Trek plot. Um, and I, the resolution of that, which was, you know, Burnham uses magic. I, I didn't, I, I, I'm not getting the reference. He said something about Kaminar. Do you all remember what that was that they used to amplify the, the mind stuff?
0: So, uh, if I'm recalling that the so they had those like obelisks that would stand over every single one of the vi- villages, I think the mm-hmm. discovery did something to amplify mm-hmm. a signal that networked them all together. But also, oh, I, although yeah. I think that was also how the they they were going to kill all the Kelpians. So maybe they uh, maybe it's discovery just hijacked that signal already, but. Yeah, like, there was there was something something like that. I I didn't go back and look specifically for it.
3: But it was great because these guys have been trying to solve it for what, a century plus. That's what that's what Book said. And wow, you guys just came in there and yeah, saved just like the day, so.
0: just have two brothers like may, like chant to each other and then like <laughs> boost it, like put it into the speaker system and then like broadcast it out.
2: You are you are ignoring the contributions of saver of all plots, Michael Burnham. Exactly. Add one exactly. more item to the resume, like save this planet. <laughs>
3: um, well, well, you know but... you know what's going to happen, right? They're going to use the brothers and they're, they're going to uh, go to that ruben Nebula and use their mind powers to reverse the burn.
1: Well, Why go. even
3: bother watching this show anymore?
1: <laughs> I mean it's yeah, done. Just spoiled the whole
0: thing for us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So
2: so so that was and, and we'll we'll jump into a little bit more of the A plot when we talk about the characters because I felt like that was a very character driven piece of the episode where a lot of it dealt with the personalities of the people involved. Mm-hmm. Um but the B plot was then Seru versus Osira versus the Federation. As soon as, did any of you have the sense that when Osira popped up on the screen, you're like, I know that actor. I've like seen, but it's Osira's place by. Excuse me. Osira is played by Janet Kidder, who I have actually not seen in other stuff. I guess I've just encountered green-skinned women with wigs in a bunch of other stuff. Apparently. To, did accents. anyone
1: notice that she looks? Her hair looks way more terrible in person than it does on the view screen. I don't know what the view screen made her hair look better. That was awful hair.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I was just I I couldn't look at her face because I was just looking at the the weird like bang situation <laughs> going on, and then it just yeah. I would, I, I wasn't as in, as into it. The the only Orion Orion that has ever had good hair is t- uh oh my God I forgot her name Ensign Ensign something tendy tendy there yes. you go <laughs> <laughs> i i should
3: mention really
2: quick that janet kidder you've probably seen her she's been in a, a, a bunch of horror movies like Ch- the the original chucky in 1998 she was most recently probably in where you've seen her as the man in the high castle as leela jacobs so uh, that's but she's she's she has a storied career mm. and hair that doesn't show up as well outside of a view screen apparently or the
3: <laughs> She's coming after all of us now,
2: not just Yeah, right. no, There you go. <laughs> um, so, so essentially what happens here is it's a battle of wills between, you know, your classic Star Trek baddie who shows up and it's like, you're going to get five minutes to do this thing. And then the captain is like, wow, thanks, Star Trek Paddy, for giving me time to get around the thing that you wanted me to do. It would have been far worse if you just said, I'm going to start doing bad stuff immediately without the five-minute timer. Uh, so this is, <laughs> I feel like, you know, Star Trek villains, they need to, like, create a little how to be bad with the Federation and part of that is like don't give them time to wiggle their way out of stuff.
1: Well, because I, if I mean, you give them time they'll always solve it by five seconds left to go yeah, or something. And, and, at least
0: so. for me like that's what I really liked about Star Trek 2009 is like Nero just like immediately killed Robo and then started blowing up the ship and then like it, the and then like blew up Vulcan before we could do anything about it. Sorry spoilers for
3: 2009. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> So oh, but- Hey, you
1: gave the spoiler warning. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I,
3: I, here's one for LDS. Or, or you could stop the communication mid midway with an expletive saying, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Emily, you you were you you had some feelings
2: about Asira. I
1: just I just don't have any interest in villains that are just terrible and just kill people and like throw their nephews to be eaten by a worm. If you're gonna give me a villain, make them like Ben Linus. Or make Mm -hmm. them like, I mean, you know, find someone or like Golducott, like Golducott was pretty terrible, but they still they did a really good job of bringing um, uh, depth to him and -hmm. and different sides of him where you almost felt sympathetic sometimes. And and or even the way they like uh, sorry not to spend so much time on Golducott, but like the way they would. Like, he had this really gross sense of the way he would talk about the Bajorans like they were his children. Mm-hmm. But, like, mm-hmm. he had this weird way that he justified what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I mean, now, granted, we just met Osira, but there's, like, no hint of anything like that. Like, this is just, I'm just bad and terrible and I'm just going to kill people because I yeah, feel like I... And I have no interest in that
0: yeah right. I, I don't get the sense that they're going to uh complexify her at all and it, mm-hmm. it, like as as uh lower decks pointed out like the Orions have never been like a complex plot point uh race in star trek it's just it's only been like slavers and uh yeah
2: there was there was some attempt to inject. A sense of, uh, I think, was it Saru who who asked her, like, you know, Orions were known to be enslaved, yeah. so how can you justify
1: mm-hmm. enslaving
2: others? And I feel like that was an opportunity to give Osaira just a little bit of, uh, I don't know, uh, some of what you're looking for, Emily. And yeah. so... yeah. yeah yeah mm-hmm. so well we ended this plot point in a convenient place so basically where the b plot took us is now vance has no choice but to fight the fe- the emerald chain uh which is i'm
0: gonna love seeing his
2: reaction to saru showing
0: up and being yeah. like Put it was like, b- we, we used used Bookship, it's totally fine and then we didn't get our we didn't get a chance to actually explain why it was fine and
2: and and i appreciate the writers having that sophistication where Saru didn't show up on the screen is like Damn, I wish it had been you who attacked me and not this other ship with your. <laughs> yeah. Now my
3: hands are tied.
0: Yeah. They, by inter, by uh, intergalactic treaty, I, I can't do anything, unfortunately. So <laughs> next time I'll get you.
1: Right. And your little um, dog, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry, she's green. Okay.
2: <laughs> so, uh, and, and we also end up in a place where we understand some of the more motivations behind the emerald chains kind of
0: the
2: the crisis behind the chain that we didn't actually know existed before this but rin tells us that the emerald chain is running out of lithium, so that's going to show up in a in a future plot somewhere but let's let's keep jumping along to the c plot which i identified as culber versus georgio mm-hmm. and i loved the writing i think this is some of some of the best dialogue mm-hmm. that i've seen on star trek discovery yeah, th-
0: th- yeah. Th- this is just a uh, this, these are the scenes that make both culber and uh giorgio just like great characters like they they're able to have like i don't know just such such compelling like good dialogue back and forth like they like both like like she's trying to manipulate him and terrify him and he just he does not care
3: <laughs> I, I i used to miss um Sarcasm that we had with the EMH and then our good Mm -hmm. tailor on DS9. Mm -hmm. And I think we're Mm -hmm. getting some of that back here, right? I I took down some some phrases. I don't know if I'm noting them um, exactly, but when she's being tested, Emperor's physicians were buried with them as a sign of loyalty in my universe. Um, (laughs) And she calls... She calls Culber the oracle of the mess hall, which is something we all spotted. Like he keeps like whispering in people's ears and um, (laughs) like quick comparison to Neelix, maybe. I don't know. And then the random dialogue around, if I'd have time, I'd poison your children. Um, Yeah. Love that. Yeah. If I had time, I'd have children. Yeah. Yeah. So he he came back well, right? So I I don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe that's a good. uh, Yeah. I. um, I I really appreciate how
0: how he has how they've really developed his character uh, and are using him a lot this season. I I just like the the more you use Culber, the more I like the episode.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. same. The in the
2: D plot, we found out that the burn has a musical signal associated with it. Oh no, it's a Federation distress signal. Yeah, Grand Admiral William Riker of the USS Titan is in there. And he's in there to save us from an even worse burn that he stopped, and we'll find out that in the finale of this episode, this season.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, that was I'm... actually. Oh, go ahead, Adam.
0: I, I, I'm just. I'm worried that we're in the worst timeline now. With the like that this episode just confirmed that the writers have watched BSG, and they're like, that is the best plot point I've ever heard of. A song is what is going to be the cause of the burn. And everyone just needs to, like, listen in the walls and, like, take lots of drugs and, and uh, <laughs> it'll solve it somehow. But, like, it, it just, I, I think, like, our maybe the best case scenario for me is, like, if it's just that the song is a dumb misinterpretation of the Federation's uh, distress signal, and then this episode is the last time we ever mention it. But I, I, I'm man, still, man. I feel it's going to be, like, the, it's going to be, like, the cliffhanger for the series, for the season or something like that is that they're someone's going to like uh, osaira is going to ominously play the song like on her uh her Orion <laughs> uh-huh. note, and we're going to be like oh shit things are about to get real
3: and, and it all has to hyperlink right so the barzan family um adira's gray playing that song yeah it all has yeah, to yeah. Some it's going to be but... a, a,
0: a they're all going to be playing at once like in a weird yeah
2: it's all gonna happen. And then there'll be a montage of Sylvester Stallone learning how to box while, yeah. while it's being <laughs> played. Okay. Uh, uh, but anyway.
1: Sing this... the montage song, Adam.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's it's in the Veruban Nebula Nebula. I think the one thing I will give this plot though, it makes me extremely like curious. Like that the way it was like framed, the way that it was shot, it just made it look like it just made me think like, oh my god, it's a Federation ship. Like I I accused the writers of lacking sophistication last week, and if you just look at it from the, like the top level over here, it's like, oh, it's a Federation ship. Come on, y'all! But like the way it was revealed and the way it said, I I couldn't help but be swept up. You know, uh, it was great. I I enjoyed. I that. wanted
1: more of that and less of Osira. Uh, yeah yeah i just thought that was exciting i thought that was mm -hmm. kind of an exciting reveal and i liked the way they did it and i was like oh go there do that you know
2: well this plot and the adira plot could have been their entire own episodes Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and there there is you know there there's so much in both of those just by themselves because we didn't see like this plot needed adira to create a what is it the algorithm or something like that Mm -hmm. and In another episode, it would have been Adira and Geordi, like, spending the whole episode making that algorithm, having lots of conversations about things. And, you know, we've had those in TNG. Mm -hmm. Instead, here, we had another quick E-plot where Adira and Stamets get to know each other. And we finally get to hear Adira come out to -hmm. become who they were announced to be by at the start of the season uh, as the first non-binary character in Star Trek.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's it, main it, character that, that's definitely one of the things that it, it has been uh a little bit frustrating because it it's it's sort of they they advertised it that way and then uh like the when when we got introduced to adira they mentioned she like 37 times in a row uh as which i i sort of assumed that would be uh the moment where we sort of learn about it but i'm glad that we did actually have the coming out moment and are able to um sort of like talk about it a a bit and it's not just that it was a like hey look at how progressive the writers of star trek and the and the uh executive producers are we like brought someone on like it's like it's actually going to be something that we talk about and and deal with in the season and it's not just like i don't know I, i i felt a little cynical towards the early parts parts of the season
2: and, and I think Stamets' reaction is, is I think, the most appropriate one, given the mm-hmm. context of the show, which is like, it's 900 years in the future. I mean, who knows right. what might have societally happened? But still, like the logical conclusion you draw is by then, this stuff doesn't matter in terms of like its right. societal implications. Mm-hmm. It's a personal issue for the person involved and in how they're thinking about themselves, which is exactly the way it was handled. Adira expressed yeah. a certain degree of like feeling towards how they feel about that. But Stamets was like, yeah, okay, thanks for letting me know cool and and that's i think i think in a way you know adam what you're bumping up against is also a display by the writers either conscious or unconscious i would say it's probably conscious that these things aren't cut and dry right like it can take time for someone to really realize who they are express that to people who've made a bunch of assumptions and and it you can sometimes find yourself living in a duality which you have to you know code switch between because you're uncomfortable say expressing yourself or whatever yeah. um and so i think in some ways the anticipation that we felt i i kind of wish that we had
0: not even known uh you know yeah that my ha- frustration is mostly with the marketing of of this season because it, like yeah. it, if we hadn't made that as like sort of the as as much of a a thing that they were talking about ahead of time like we could have just had it be something that organically develops in this episode and sort of the audience can, uh, I guess, sort of like process it along with Adira and Stamets. And, mm-hmm. uh, but it's instead kind of what we had is that the, the audiences, uh, if they are aware of the marketing at the very least are just sort of a little bit confused as to why we seem to not be even bringing it up at all or hinting at it at, at all in the episodes. But, um, but yeah.
1: Now I'm sure, I'm sure they would have done this for marketing anyway, but there's this little part of me That wonders if, um, another, um, fan favorite, uh, series had not had its creator make such sadly Mm. anti-trans statements, um, it's kind of like so i have i'm a huge harry potter fan and i'm a huge star trek fan and it felt like a bomb having star trek yeah, be like yeah look here we're we're gonna have a non-binary character we're going to have a trans character they're going to be portrayed by actors who are non-binary and trans and mm-hmm. you know so yeah. um anyway so i th- there's a little part of me that's like oh star trek thank you thank you yeah. i needed you know i needed yeah. that after the disappointment of um anyway i don't know that that has any thing to do with it but there's there's a little bit of um there's there's a crossover in some of those um fandoms mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. for And sure. so and i
3: think um adam the point you bring about around uh, um how much the audience was waiting for this sort of where um maybe there is a part of the audience that hadn't quite picked up on it and i think what the writers did this time was they they almost coached how one you know should respond mm-hmm. respond to stuff yeah. like this really well, um, because not not just in how Stamets responded directly um, to Adira, but even afterwards when they were having when uh, Culber and Stamets were having a conversation, it wasn't like oh did you hear? It was literally uh, yeah. a conversation <laughs> yeah. where they normalized you know talking about uh, such a person in the third person, and they you know they were right there so. So mm-hmm. that was good for me. I think there's some yeah. good education there.
0: No, for sure. I I I do really like sort of in isolation of the the marketing stuff. I think that the the writing has dealt with it pretty well, uh, yeah. and that the, like those were, yeah. I, I I agree that that was a good example of of how to sort of process that in real time.
2: I mean, maybe we can reflect on this marketing piece when we recap the season at the mm-hmm. at the end. Um, I I do want to take us to memorable moments before we go into mm-hmm. break here. Um, we talked about Culber and Giorgio's dialogue already. I think we we should highlight the dialogue between Stamets and Culber. I thought that was adorable, and I mm-hmm. uh, I I. It, it oh, Stannis, in particular, you know, it, it just having this paternal instinct in some ways yes. was just just adorbs. But um, were there other moments in this episode that you all picked up on? Were like, I love that.
1: I thought the um, I I literally was laughing out loud during the figuring out what um, Saru's uh, warp, you know, or what his catchphrase <laughs> yeah. was going to be. So I did enjoy those. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I th- I thought this episode actually had a lot of it had a lot of little gems, you know, like, you know, I don't always laugh out loud during Star Trek episodes, but I did laugh out loud during this one. Other and moments. it also did feel like a general it the ending felt so TNG
3: mm-hmm.
1: like it. Just, so it was kind of that. I mean, aside from a site, a you know, but um, <laughs> it just kind of it had a, it was just kind of a nice episode, but.
2: I I, I enjoyed when when Sorry. when Grudge jumped on top of the uh on on top of Rin basically Rin just oh, freaked yeah. out. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> uh, like a pet? <laughs> right. And it was just.
3: They were they were both very unprepared for that attack run. They're on the run, and he's like, she's like, where do I shoot? and he's yeah. like what's this on my lap and i'm like oh, yeah. is, how is this going to work out
2: well then they have the like long conversation where detmer's like looking at rin and talking and i'm just like aren't you in a life or death situation <laughs> yeah. and, like, and you also <laughs> just put <laughs> it
0: into <laughs> manual
3: mode and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: oh, but i like
3: those two joysticks come out of nowhere right like uh, and then she sort of yeah
2: um I, I, I will say that another thing that I'll take away from this episode is that I totally racist kid at the end who's like,
1: oh lizard.
2: It's like, hello, species is a name. Uh, please.
1: <laughs> but that was pretty awesome. I totally would have wanted to go peel some of his <laughs> skin off anyway. That, that was the F plot like when you have of the episode. A sunburn, you know, yeah. It, yeah.
2: <laughs> um Okay, well, uh let, let's take a break here. We shall return with the expansion of the world of Trek. And character development notes took a sec for rin to chill out once he got grudge in
1: order he just told me exactly where to aim and it was just
0: i'm as valuable
3: as the cat
1: oh knock it off with the whole bad endorian thing you're a freaking hero she'll be back osara and it will be bad next time well we can be pretty bad too so
0: (laughs) you know all I ever heard about when I was little was how deceitful the Federation was, how they turn on you. I mean, you want to scare an Andorian child, tell them they're going to Federation summer camp. That's not a thing. I need to tell you something. Something that will give you an advantage.
3: They're running out of Dilithium, the chain. That's why Osiris wants me back. I'm the only one who knows.
2: And know you do. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're reflecting on the fact that we've been doing this for a little while. Episode 20, everybody.
0: Look nice. at that.
2: Look at that. If, if we were a person, we'd be in the sophomore year or junior, depending on how. If, and if you're on a traditional approach to education here. You
0: know. <laughs> and definitely not drinking at all.
2: Nope, not at all. Yeah, not being like, one more year and I don't need to go to Cabo to drink. Okay. Um, (laughs) I did not do that. Let's move on to talking about the expansion of the world of Trek in this episode of Star Trek Discovery. First of all, we found out, as Rudy mentioned earlier, that the Terran Emperor's personal physicians are buried with them as an incentive for the physician to provide better care. If you're going to die when the Emperor dies, you have a vested interest in keeping that Emperor alive. I appreciate sometimes just how one dimensional the Terrans are.
0: It's,
2: (laughs) it's kind of funny just because it allows dumb stuff like this to come up.
0: And it's, it's great. Well, it, it, it it was one of the few instances where I was like, I, I can kind of see their logic there. Okay. (laughs) Like that, like that, that wasn't just like it, like completely out of left field insane. like it is, it is at least, <laughs> I can imagine some totalitarian ruler being like, this is the thing yeah. that's best for my safety if so I murder everyone who's in charge of my sa- safety. <laughs> so, okay. I have that's
2: little... why
1: Donald Trump recovered from COVID. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So I I, I have a little story. Uh, So my other soccer podcast that I used to do, I used to open every episode with a dumb question, like a really, really dumb question that my co-hosts would have no idea what I was going to ask them. It would be something ridiculous. And one time, what had happened was that the um, dictator of Kazakhstan, not Kazakhstan, um, Chechnya, uh, Ramzan Kadirov, had invited the Egyptian national team during the World Cup in Russia to come train in Chechnya. And as part of that, he'd had this whole, like, he'd invited the Egyptian stars and the biggest star in the world at that time, Mo Salah, who plays for Liverpool, which Rudy's a fan of. Mm-hmm. He had been, like, doubted around as, like, the dictator's buddy and, like, they'd taken photographs and stuff. And Salah later came out and said, like, that was against my will. I was forced into doing that. I, I couldn't get out of it. And so the question I'd asked my friends was, or my co-host was, if you were a dictator and you could do whatever you wanted and an eccentric thing, what is it that you would do? (laughs) And essentially, the answers that we had... I had to cut from the episode and be like, I have learned things about my co-hosts that make me uncomfortable. And (laughs) and for years after that, we referenced, we joked about the fact that we had asked this question on the podcast before and it had never been broadcast. Uh, But Adam, you just responded me about, uh, you just reminded me about that. I have learned things about you and your approach to dictatorship. (laughs) That make if you, if you try to take over, I'm gonna try and stop you. Okay, let's
3: just put it that way. He did
1: not learn that from me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> to, to, to Adam's defense, isn't that what the Egyptian uh, pharaohs and emperors used to do? Just bury everybody with them. That was. Them. I couldn't so, remember
0: was the physicians.
2: No, so so the pharaohs, early on, like in the first few dynasties, like the first like two or three dynasties of ancient Egypt. There were, there's evidence of humans being buried with them. And it actually, there's a lot more evidence of the ancient Sumerians and Assyrians who did that. But this is how the Shabti figures in pyramids came about, which are these little human beings. Because instead of having all these helpers buried with you to help you in the afterlife, the logic was that they would all come to life and help you in the afterlife so that you as the pharaoh wouldn't be doing any work. The ancient Egyptian religion basically said, oh yeah, these little stones... They come to life and help you. And I I can just imagine the first Pharaoh to do that. The priests are like, Pharaoh, we've discovered something amazing. You don't have to kill us. You can just have these little things. They'll come to life and they will help you. And the Pharaoh's like, are you sure about this? I Really? Why don't we just have a couple of you anyway? It's like, no, 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 we're sure. Pascal's
0: wager. Okay, well... Maybe, but let's just kill you just to be safe. Right, right. You know,
2: I mean we'll find out one way or the other, right? Then we can send a message back. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, I I you you touched a live wire of one of my greatest interests in life ancient. We know you're gonna ask us that now. Right. We can Uh, do this segment.
0: Let's let's do it.
2: (laughs) Okay, Emerald Chain. What did we learn about the emerald chain in this episode, y'all?
0: We're gonna feel the weight. (laughs)
1: <laughs> they don't care about anything. They're just going to kill and rape and pillage and they have no morals and, you know, they're totally irredeemable. And no, actually, you know, I will say um, the the um, uh, Rin's comments. And actually, there may have been I don't know if Osira made those comments or not, but show you that the Federation may not. The Federation has a reputation that's different than what we would have yeah. thought the reputation of the federation was so that does give a little bit of depth to um or nuance to perhaps to the emerald train emerald chain and, and its existence i can't talk yeah but
0: yeah at the, at the very least we're getting a glimpse of what it's like to live under the power of the or like in the influence mm-hmm. of the emerald chain is that you the information that you have of the federation is at least very different from what our characters believe um, I guess what we'll see if, if some of that ends up being true. Maybe we're going to mm-hmm. learn some things about how parts of the Federation, when things were uh, in the early days, maybe it maybe you really did have to make deals, or things didn't come for free. As uh, uh, Tilly was kind of offended to learn. Um,
2: this is this is interesting that you mentioned that because maybe it's just because I ended up reading this chapter right after that, watching the episode. But in A Promised Land, President Obama talks about traveling around different countries and learning to deal with diplomats and, and other nations. And he's talking about specifically how when he's working he was working with Chinese diplomats and sometimes with other countries in that kind of orbit, he saw they they saw foreign relations as kind of a transactional thing where you do x we do y this versus that there was there was very little in terms of kind of moralist moralism or Mm -hmm. uh altruism in terms of the diplomacy and i think that we see this with the emerald chain also in the way that they deal with planets they come they introduce themselves to pre-warp culture say you need something or they like damage something maybe like we saw with those miners. Mm-hmm. Um, unclear if that was Emerald Chain or just the couriers. But you can see how they can take away a resource to start or provide a resource for it to start a transactional relationship that then keeps them l- intrinsically linked with those people.
3: Yeah. Oh, it's it's a definite parallel to what's happening in reality in terms of um, South America and Africa, right? With the the big powers going in and sort of getting into these agreements and and not all of them are for necessarily for the benefit of the local people especially long term mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: so we also met the creepy sea locust bugs on this planet whose name i have not learned to pronounce properly rudy i think you have
3: um the books planet. Said, books planet the bugs no, 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 no he's meaning the name of the planet. Name of the planet. I can't oh. pronounce it. Kwajin. Kwajin. I okay. don't know. I'm that, that's what I'm I'm going with. It kind of reminds me of Kwajalein Atoll. Isn't that where, like, NASA has, like, a deep-tracking radio telescope somewhere in the middle of the Pacific? Yeah, that's that's the closest... Okay. Well, well, this planet has these
2: creepy <laughs> sea locust bugs that have shown up and had to be pushed back at the end of the episode. We also found out that books people ask and not command the animals. Mm. Kind of a charming thing. Mm-hmm. And we we also find out that the, you know, we talked about how the Federation isn't trusted, and we talked about and it there's a perception that anything they do comes with strings as ring. Mm-hmm expresses. Well, let's with that, let's jump into talking about characters specifically. Uh, poor one out for Tolor. Ryan and Justin Bieber was eaten. Uh, best was how Osiris was like, you won't feel a thing. It's a transworm. And it's like, he, he did.
3: He was screaming. You hear him screaming, right? Yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah. so. It was involuntary screaming. It just happens, mm-hmm. you know, when you
1: eaten by a yeah, transworm. You, you just
0: chop down on the body like that. It's just, It's just you can't help it. Oh, I also just like, I'm having a great time. Yeah! Yeah, there we go. He it, it was it's but it was muffled from the the jaws clamping down on him so we just couldn't yeah, hear right. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly.
2: At first when he got dropped down into the thing I was like is this the trash compactor from Star Wars? You know? <laughs> yeah, I
0: thought that too. <laughs>
2: Well, Burnham gets sent down onto the planet as an observer, and I was just sitting there being like, Oh, Saru. (laughs) Commander Burnham. She's so good at observing. (laughs) Don't do anything. I want you to come right back, okay?
0: What? Don't become pivotal to the plot, Michael Burnham.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You've saved too many planets, okay? You've got this many statues of you. Okay, so what what did y'all learn about Burnham in this episode? How was her character developed?
1: I, you know, I have to say that this episode was not about Burnham for me, and I didn't mm. really. It was one of the first times where it, she did not feel like a driving force in the episode. There were other, there were other factors that were doing that. So. I didn't really feel like we learned that much necessarily, or yeah. it, there wasn't anything that stuck out to me.
0: Yeah, it, it's kind of like she she appeared maybe more often than she needed to, but it wasn't, it didn't feel as ham-fisted as it has in the past. So, and I and I, I did appreciate how, like, it it was Book and his brother that were, it was the Book's brothers uh, that were the, the <laughs> headliners of, of this, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't just all about her. I, I did ap- appreciate
2: her approach to kind of the, the home world before they even got there. Like, I'm I'm going to like it. It's your home. It's like, mm-hmm. makes me imagine like, what if they'd shown up and it was like a planet of needles or something like that. <laughs> a planet that smells of like lutefisk and everyone eats exclusively lutefisk. <laughs> <This> <laughs> like is how strange. long?
3: <laughs> <laughs> More insight into each other's minds. Right. We have now. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's a bold prediction like i'm going
2: to like it are you sure there are things out there anyway um let's let's talk about book who had uh Ace hernandez as his brother kahim the first thing we hear about the brother is michael going he's my and book interrupts my brother so she's not saying something like he's not black <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, Michael. Astute observation there. <laughs> um, uh, did, I, I don't think we got a full explanation about like the family. We just got an idea there's something complex going on there. Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah I, and I mean, well, it's
1: not, there's something with the father and the grandfather, and right. I don't know if they were part of... If they were the ones that initiated...
0: Yeah, it's, it seems like some or... sort of monarchy type thing happening. Uh, and I'm wondering if, if also if his family are the only ones that have the magical eye or magical lights in the forehead ability. Yeah. uh, Cause it, it seemed like if the message was like, Oh, we should just work together and like do our thing and dispel all the locusts. Like there were like 10 other people that we saw this episode. Shouldn't they also help a little bit, even if they're not as good, like the light up like seven lights on their forehead instead of 23. But,
2: And, and his family is called a family of killers and poachers in the mm-hmm. first episode of the season that's what book says and that yep. mm-hmm. occasionally someone like him is born into the family as as like a, a balancing force of some sort mm-hmm. so it's it's unclear whether yeah I, I just didn't get a sense of any sort of like explanation of of any depth in terms of this family relationship and and how book might have fallen out yet we just know that something like you said like there was other folks in the family book had a different attitude and then something Mm -hmm. happened
0: well and i I guess i from this episode i kind of reinterpreted it the the line of like killers and poachers as more that's how he has reframed his family's sort of legacy based on what his father and grandfather did Mm -hmm. uh, rather than literally their and their job is to hunt and kill creatures and whatnot it's just sort of like the betrayal of the transworms is what uh sort of led him to have that feeling yeah that's
2: a that's a different way to to look at it for sure um and yeah i i hope we learn more uh his name was Tarex terex uh on the planet he changed it to book we heard books say oh, there's okay. a story there but we'll uh we'll we'll learn about it later uh, which he's done before as well and I'm sure glad that everybody from Books Planet fights in that way where they start a fight going "ha!" before they actually like <laughs> strike the person so that they can react and be ready yes
3: uh, that happened in the final fight where the brother shows up in I the like head. their guns they had these rifle like guns with just shot out arrows which are, if you're in a planet where you're going to control a lot of the wildlife
2: oh. uh Maybe that's that's the way they do it. We also had uh, in this episode th- we saw that their handshake, where they where they grab both arms and then l- knock their heads against one another. I thought that was pretty nice.
3: Mm-hmm. I actually like this uh, salutation. I was was it a way to say goodbye, where they sort of tap fingers on their forehead and
1: mm-hmm.
3: I like that. Yeah, they had something. Try yeah. that out with somebody. Yeah, it's pretty flush. It seems COVID friendly. Yeah,
1: Is COVID safe. <laughs>
2: uh let's 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 talk about saru briefly um and uh i i should note at this point emily you're gonna have to to step away in a second here uh leaving yeah
1: i've got about five minutes
2: two of us to finish the episode um wh- why don't you tell us it, right before you go in the chat what your rating is and i can read it out when when oh, we okay. reach that point okay,
1: okay. Uh, yeah
2: but uh we will we'll miss you for the end of this episode a little, let's talk about saru though before we go
0: before you go um he he demonstrated some hearing skills well i what what i thought was weird is he demonstrated his hearing skills and the camera zoomed in on his eyes and then we like looked at what his eyes were doing and then they're like oh wait no he said hearing <laughs> and then we looked at his ears like okay that's that's what he's doing uh but yeah it i i that's come up a few times he seems to have like incredible senses he's got an amazing memory he knows 90 some languages he knows all about Italian painters and can uh, have, he has a, a ready metaphor about them for any situation, but
3: uh, yeah. Maybe he's a hologram.
2: What'd y'all think about the captaincy he showed in this episode?
3: Liked it. I mean, he's, he's continuously uh, proven his position in balancing the somewhat renegade nature of his crew from time to time versus um, what Vance needs from him. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and also in terms of diplomacy in, in the episode with uh, Navarra last time. Um, and then he he managed to balance um, being an observer. It didn't work, obviously, but there was an attempt to be an observer and still influence um, the ship. So good on you, Asru. but uh, you're going to need all of those skills when you go explain to Vance what happened. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I what I appreciated about this is it it shows uh, how the, interesting that or how well uh, Tilly and Saru work together. Uh, and and it's sort of like exemplifies like what a good relationship between a captain and first officer can be versus like what he had with with uh, Burnham, which was basically like, say some supportive things every once in a while, but like then completely undermine each other for the rest of the episode. Uh, yeah. And so I, I'm liking seeing this aspect of things.
2: In terms of his catchphrase development, did you all <laughs> see anything that's gonna stick, or do you think uh, he's gotta keep uh, keep going? I, back I think the... we
0: need to keep keep looking. I I feel like it, although it, it... I don't... Oh. Oh, go ahead. I think this is this is going to be the situation where like he he's he's going to learn to like just not worry about it and it'll just he'll magically have one. I was expecting the magical one to happen this episode, but I don't think it did. So the only one
1: that had any potential, he didn't try out. I thought Manifest could have had more possibility than Especially the other with, ones. Yeah, with like, exactly, do some exactly. Like but...
0: Manifest and do jazz hands or something. <laughs> yeah.
3: Suit his personality. Um, I was thinking maybe we should vote for our own options. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I was well, thinking of punch it, but it doesn't suit his personality. Well, that at all. that was
0: also Pike in two thousand nine. So was that was that um,
3: hit it or punch it? He, he said punch
0: oh. it in, in two thousand
2: nine. Ah, I think. Okay, okay. Pike is hit it in this discovery. Yes, <laughs> so, honestly, which I is my personal favorite.
1: Saru is honestly kind of a make it so kind of. Character yeah. like that, something like that would yeah. work for him. Like yeah. he could pull that off. You're like, hey, but,
0: you, watch watch some of these VHS tapes we have of the twenty fourth century. I think you'll well, like. Well, you know one. he like <laughs> he likes to
1: pull the the um, characteristics from different captains, right? You know he yeah. had that list of. Yeah, I can Google about to, Picard. Well, like, oh, he had exactly, a really good catchphrase. Let's do yeah, that one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh yeah i i think you're right about the make it so it really it he is he is an enunciative person who needs multiple words you can't just be like a jane way like do it He, he he doesn't have that like uh that sense i don't i don't think so Hmm. okay well we'll see we'll see what he what he comes up with at the end and uh, one other thing that I wanted to point out with command was that Nielsen in this episode actually has something that she does that isn't just, oh, there's something important happening. Let me get out of the chair and let the captain back. And she objects when Saru wants to get them involved. And it makes sense for the o- the officer with the most amount of like experience commanding the ship, who's actually put in charge when Saru isn't there to be the one who says, hey maybe that isn't the best idea. So I really appreciate that we got to see Nielsen actually doing something. That was good. Now, what did you all think about Tilly in this episode?
3: I had a couple of different flavors. Um, She did manage the whole um, burn discussion well as a leader, I thought. That was nicely choreographed by her. She did rub me a little the wrong way when she started... I took it as snapping at Rin when he comes in and he's like, which one of you is the captain? It's like, no, that's not how it goes. And then she kept, she said something else in the, just later. Um, but then in the end, she sort of, you know, mess hall, oracled him, helped him out, and uh, all was good.
2: I I will say I really enjoyed Tilly saying uh, to Rin now see it with the respect the rank deserves. I, I don't see Tilly from season one saying anything like that. Like, she would just be, like, mm-hmm. tongue-tied. In fact, aren't there some episodes where, like, she has got tongue-tied with somebody saying something to her that was insulting or Yeah, when or she first
0: met Pike, uh, I think she definitely was, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and so so to, to see her saying the right thing, demanding respect for her captain, and saying it at the right time, I think, is such a huge thing. And I... Uh, I appreciated that. And I think for me, this was the episode where I was like, okay, that's why she's, well, that's why I said mm-hmm. picked her uh, as, as the first officer.
0: Yeah, I I think that this was, this episode was definitely like proof of that this was a good choice. And uh, yeah, maybe she makes them like sort of, some parts of it I'm sure will be awkward or she'll feel like she made mistakes about certain things. But I think overall, she's doing a very competent job at this.
2: Yeah. Moving on to to Stamets, we we talked about the, the the paternal instinct. We found out that he plays piano. Any other Stamets related notes that you all wanted to throw in there?
0: I I guess just generally, it, it, I like that. I mean, we had that kind of like weird turn where he went back to sort of a, uh, episode one, uh, episode three, season one asshole Stamets. But uh, I think they're they're giving a good. He like he's definitely an awkward dude. But um, he like has a soft side to him and he is a, an empathetic person when he like is giving space for that to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I do appreciate when we get sort of softer side scenes with him.
2: Yeah, he was he was we, we definitely got the side of Stamets in this one that we really liked. And mm-hmm. I, it's interesting given how much he and Jet Reno share on screen chemistry that Jet's absence in this, I think, in some ways allowed Stamets to have a more kind of adorable, like, mm-hmm. unchallenged, kind of caring attitude in this, rather than kind of having to be on the back foot dodging. Yeah. <laughs> <Like> being caring, <laughs> but also dodging some, like, attacks. Uh we talked about Culber a little bit already, but I, I again will shout out that we're we're actually getting to see what dying and coming back from death does to somebody with his attitude, where he's just now fearless, like he's mm-hmm. willing to call out whatever he doesn't he doesn't need your shit, like he he's just gonna he's gonna put it like it is. I don't care if you're ex-Terran Emperor, we're gonna fix you. And it's going to be the way it is. And I love that. I, I also saw, I think this this might be one of the first episodes where if you've seen him and Dr. Pollard like working on a patient together.
1: Because
2: mm-hmm. I mean, some there those, you know, Pollard replaced him. And so there was some question like, now oh, he's back, what's going to happen? And I like how he's kind of becoming more of like the cons- counselor type person. And then Pollard is more of a medical
3: practitioner. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I really liked him in this episode. And, and and nothing against Tilly, um, but when Saru was trying to pick a first officer, I, obviously Culbert doesn't have command experience or technical experience to be a first officer, but his personality, um for me it was like if there was an ideal combination of Culber and Gorgeous, that would be even better than like a Burnham type of person as an as a first officer. But mm-hmm. um so he, I think they can really do much more with his character. His his everything he does says um is it fits the character it it, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel off at all. It's very compelling for sure. And uh
2: let's us let's, let's give Adira a bit of time as well. We talked about I think most of the stuff dealing with their coming out uh, already which is a significant moment we found out that gray isn't talking to adita anymore which i feel like is a huge bombshell and i don't know if we spend enough time talking about that in this episode given the significance of what that
0: is yeah yeah it's it's almost the we should have like flipped the length of the scenes around a bit because it was like oh gray's not talking to you uh we're gonna be playing in the key of g minor (laughs) uh, yeah let's
3: just go yeah,
2: <laughs> let me get your
3: mind off that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it was it like is this a person like a thing where y'all had a fight or is this some sort of chemical thing? Like, what is? Yeah. A- anyway, I mean, we'll find out, I guess. But uh, also, why hasn't Adira been given a uniform yet? Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: It, this is the this is the thirty second century version of the Wesley sweater, so.
2: Right, it's like. Or, or just wear some casual clothes or whatever, because that's part of the EDF uniform. Anyway, it's just very strange. And like Star Trek does stuff like this where you're like, this is this person's outfit now, and because we want our viewers to recognize them every single time, we're going to give them this awesome little cue that they have, that they're yeah. wearing around the place.
0: I, I guess we, we've we at least gone over, like, uh, um, Trill don't keep their rank when they sort of switch right. on to the next host, so maybe it's sort of like uh adira never went to uh starfleet uh academy and so like isn't a member of starfleet is on this crew but so only gets assigned space pajamas
2: yeah i think i think that's probably the better question is why isn't adira considered part of starfleet and (laughs) uh I mean, especially if, like, Aditya Sahil was, always, like, given his commission right away. It's like, why can't Burnham just show up and be like, you haven't been waiting 40 years, but here you go. But, well, uh, and, although Adira and, and was. Why, uh, uh,
0: Aditya had, had like, way better, uh, had a much better uniform. So, like, Adira should get, like, that nice collar thing going on. But Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. So, okay. Well, uh, moving on to Giorgio, we found out... So now we've not actually talked about what happened in that Giorgio Culber plot in terms of moving things along. We found out that Giorgio has some sort of brain dysfunction that is probably killing her. We had the star tech that just, like, hooks onto her head and, hey, immediately allows us to know what the problems are and, like, that she can steal to, like, view her visions. I was... I kind of groaned a little bit when she stole those, but then to have Culber and the security catch, catch her, I appreciated. So she doesn't get, to, you don't have that like, oh, she's going to be like face down in her quarters having like overdosed on the like technology <laughs> classic plot either. <laughs> um, so, and so that, I guess- that's interesting.
0: It was also interesting seeing uh, a red alert happening, but like, oh yeah, I guess the medical personnel, like they don't have to like, like Kolba doesn't have to go to battle stations or whatever, like it I mean, I suppose eventually he should be available but uh, it, it was interesting seeing everyone else sort of like, oh shit, it's red alert and he's like, no, this is my patient I need to be talking to her and like mm-hmm. uh, dealing with this right now, that's the most important thing for me. And
3: I, I have think... two security guys to accompany me. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, well, It was uh... interesting also, like the first scene of this episode, Culber and Giorgio are talking and and he's like, feels comfortable talking to her on his own. And then suddenly when they're doing stuff, Burnham has showed up and I got to say, I, <laughs> right, I was like, why are you here? Like, wh- what is, what purpose do you serve being here as a character? And and the funniest thing was at the end the, the of that scene, C- Culber says to Burnham um, something to the effect of like, I'll call you if you're needed. Yeah, why wasn't that the case the first in the first place? I, I guess some of this frustration is because it was the start of the episode and like by the end I didn't care so much about it. But like, yeah, the beginning is yeah. like, oh, Burnham's here again. Like, Culber's <laughs> getting her help. It's like, what are you doing? But anyway, excited for the next episode, which is going to f- focus more on the Empress and this brain dysfunction issue, apparently. Uh, Rin. Had a bunch of screen time. Yeah, and I,
0: I think we, I think we're getting a hit. Like we might, we talked about the antenna uh, last time we saw him, but I, I think they were growing a little bit over the course of the episode. Mm. So I, yeah. I think I don't think we, we have retconned that like their antenna don't grow back. So it was probably relatively recent that he had had them removed.
2: Yeah. yeah. And what do y'all think about the scene with him and Tilly at the end? Where do you think that's leading in terms of his place on the
3: ship and involvement with Starfleet? Well, he's the potential leader in exile or regime change, dude. I, I don't I don't know if they will dismantle the Emerald Chain or, you know, mm-hmm. cut the head of the snake um, and then take his help in, in reestablishing... A more uh, merchant oriented uh, agency, right? I don't and know.
0: Star Trek yeah. will will tell it will show us that uh, the the values of re- regime change and putting uh, someone who's uh, more amenable to your economic incentives uh, in power, and how that's just uh, it always works out and it's always a good idea.
2: Yeah, let's uh, always. Kinda, <laughs> I mean, it's it's gonna be. I think there are some tropes that he could fall into and I'm kind of interested to see if they avoid them as well.
3: Uh, finally, he does, look, he does look perplexed a lot, which was, I don't know if you, for me, he always had this wide-eyed look on. Yeah. I know in, in between there was like a creature on him that he didn't know. And... <laughs>
0: yeah, I think a lot of that was the cat. <laughs> that,
3: was, that was hilarious. Oh
2: my God. There's someone took a screen grab of his like face when the cat jumps on him and it's just like,
0: this
2: is bad <laughs> podcasting. I'm making the face. Yeah. But it's, it's just very funny. Shocked and scared expression. Uh, Detmer is a great freaking pilot. Detmer prefers manual controls, and we also saw that. I wonder if the the conversation she had with Joanne at the start, where Joanne was like, "These you know, the computers like reprogram the consoles for you." Detmer's like no I I want them just the way I want it uh and or I wanted there to be a failsafe and Joanne says the only failsafe you needed was you I what I kind of wondered why that conversation was kind of there like what the console signified and maybe it was at the end it's allowing Detmer to just trust herself with the full manual controls
0: yeah so. it I mean it, it's it sort of still gets into that weird handling of her uh sort of the dealing with being like too macho plot line of or like the ptsd or exactly what it Mm -hmm. what it is that's happening with detmer uh because i'm not sure that the i mean definitely like trust yourself and and whatnot but uh we we seem to have been we see we are still avoiding the like oh but maybe you shouldn't have to work so hard and like we should like take some time and work on your care uh as opposed to just like oh yeah let's Let's definitely put you into the middle of a battle uh, where, yeah, you could just super die. And then we'll, cr- we'll punish you <laughs> for doing that, too.
2: <laughs> uh, a few trivia points before we move on to ratings. Uh, there is someone on Reddit whose name I can't now remember who pointed out that this episode was supposed to air before star trek lower decks you saw that carol freeman in one of the cold opens and lower decks is trying to figure out what her captain catchphrase is and that was supposed to be parodying this episode most likely because the writers on that show probably knew what was going to happen on discovery but because discovery is delayed thanks to their audio processing or their editing process and the audio recording needing to happen uh, taking longer those were reversed which is kind of an interesting thing to consider uh, Osira, mm. we see Osaira picking up a combat badge while she's talking to Tolor that combat badge was from Picard so there's a little bit of kind of props being exchanged between those mm. two series um, we had a you know I, on our Instagram I posted a picture of the map that Vance had in his office a few episodes ago we see that map again and this time it identifies Kronos as specifically as existing which is pretty nice um, I would say and the apparently the, there's somebody on Reddit who says that the Verubin Nebula may be a nod to the late astronomer Vera Rubin. I mm-hmm.
3: don't
0: know. Do you all accept that?
2: Yeah, Maybe. why wouldn't I, we...
0: Actually the the first thing that I thought about when we, we tracked it down to a nebula and then like a strange signal in the nebula, I'm like, V'ger <laughs> I right. don't think it's Vger, but <laughs> I'm glad
2: I... dude, my notes have the same thing. I wrote Vger down. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> We are, ah, that's uh, that makes me happy. I'm glad I'm not the only uh, one who <laughs> saw that. Well, I mean, there,
0: there is both Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, so uh, I can't remember which one was V'ger. <laughs> so the other one might have caused the burn. Do they specify? That's interesting. I would have to go watch that. I haven't watched,
2: I've watched the motion picture only once and I haven't watched it again. So I should, I should go. That's not uh... a bad
0: choice. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you, you, you know what you don't want the ship in the nebula to be, right? you don't want it to be an SB-19 ship because then it was the Vulcans mm. that started the mm.
0: <laughs> The Nivarans. So, yeah.
3: I oh, mean, that that, that would be
0: interesting, though. Uh, I just don't want it to be Starbuck, but...
2: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, no not that oh my god. I, I was not a fan of the way PSG ended, but anyway, it's a whole different conversation.
3: Um, let's about, go ahead, go ahead.
2: I was, I was just gonna say let's talk about strange new ratings. So uh let's let's give this episode a rating. Why don't I usually say who wants to stick their neck out, but this time we have somebody who's typed up their strange new rating, so I'm just gonna read it. Emily left her rating for us. Three point seven five on five. Osira brought the episode down for me it made me so annoyed and even though i liked almost every other part of the episode i had to bring it down a full point just for osaira black so that is emily's rating uh do one of
0: you have something you'd like to give as a rating uh maybe also i, I think for me it was a six out of ten it was just kind of a meh episode uh for me it's like there was i so that some of the stuff that that you talked about not of like that it had so many plot points i think actually for me was a bit of a detriment because it felt like we were just cramming too much in Mm. Um, and i definitely for me the 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 song potentially being a pivotal plot point was uh i was feeling down about that i felt really great about the Culber scenes um but it just kind of ended up like there's lots of great stuff. Uh, Kaheem is incredibly sexy, so that's great too. But like it, it, when it, when you put it all together, it was still just kind of a the for me. So six okay. out of ten. Okay.
3: All right. I will go with um, seven. Sea locusts out of ten. Um, again, neither here nor there for me. Um, I like the rewatchability threshold that, that Notch has established, and I I think for me. Personally, my eight and above would be rewatchable. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is quite there, but it does open up. It is almost like a junction point for the show, uh, for the season, for the series even. um, Because you pretty much know that they can't throw in too many new um, plots. It's all going to have to start to converge Mm going forward.
2: I'm gonna give this a nine out of ten for me. this I think you're right adam in in that uh the the music stuff was maybe my least favorite part, but it's such a small part of this episode that i I honestly forgot about it. uh you famously in our Slack channel have said that we usually half of us love an episode and the other half hate it or something <laughs> to that extent, and this is exactly true over here yep. um, <laughs> and uh, I, working I don't democracy. know you I, I'm just you know part of me is happy just because last episode I was just like am I incapable of enjoying a Discovery episode? Am I just like gonna find myself sitting here being like ah, brah, brah here's all the problems No I and you know even even when we were recording today I was making fun of a few things. I genuinely love this episode. And I to the point where I wanted to watch it again before we recorded today, I just didn't have the time. So uh not perfect by any means. I think that there was there were some it wasn't quite perfection, but 9 out of 10 for me. Definitely. Nice. Well, with that, I should I should thank Emily, who was here before. But thank you, Adam. And thank you, Rudy, who are here still as well. Thank you, Notch. Thanks, Notch. Yep. Always. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Dinah, wherever you all are. And whatever you're all doing, hopefully it's something fun. Thank you, listener, for sticking with us. And remember to give us a five-star rating if you can. And to... Uh, also follow us on social media. Talk to us. Ask us your questions. Tell us your stuff. Few of you have already. I'd love to hear from Oria. And thanks to Jishnu Guha who produced our theme music. He's got a podcast called Geek Fruit that you can listen to if you so choose. And finally, I just want to thank those creepy sea locusts on Quijin because if they hadn't decided to just get out of that ocean and show up and start doing their fancy thing, then this whole episode wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. So thank you, sea locust creatures. For also not not being like scary looking. Because they could have been like really creepy and they weren't, and I really like that too. So, all right, well with that, we will see everybody next week. Goodbye, everyone.
0: Bye. Bye.